Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King. Welcome to another very special edition of the Less Than Legends podcast. It is time to take a look at the world finals. It is here. It is happening. We are just days away at this point, and I couldn't think of anyone I would rather have on to give a statistical look at everything that's about to happen than Tim Sevenhusen from Oracle's Elixir. How are you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Hey, anytime. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun having you on in the past. I think people really like having some of these advanced numbers that you don't necessarily hear anywhere else. So it's nice to have you on and be able to get that kind of perspective. So the first thing that I think everyone asks when they look at this series, when they look at the fact that it's another LCK series between these two Korean teams, and they're trying to get themselves excited for this matchup, the first thing that I hear all the time is, well, what's different? What's changed from the last time that these two teams played each other. And so is there anything when you were looking at you know, how you were previewing this series and, and how these teams have played recently that stood out to you from what we saw in the LCK when they were going up uh, multiple times throughout that season? The instant reaction, and, and this is what everybody's going to know kind of off the bat, is obviously the meta changed. Mm-hmm. So when when 5.18 came in for Worlds, the, the 5.18 patch, uh, that shifted everything around. It brought in this carry top laner uh, meta where there are all these offensive champions big damage dealers big split pushers who have a completely different impact on the game than what we saw uh, in most of the rest of the year and especially you know over the rest of summer so that's really important for the coup tigers especially it's important for both teams but especially looking at the coup tigers because you look at smeb their top laner and he has just blown this tournament away over the last couple of weeks anyways. Uh, and he's used Fiora. He's used, you know, these, these really offensive champions. Uh, he's also been using Darius, uh, like everybody was earlier on, at least to carry the games, to have big split push impact, uh, on both of them to come into the team fights, uh, and dish out the damage rather than being relegated to this utility player, more of a, more of a tank, more of a, you know, teleport into the team fights, and just provide utility crowd control. So that's the biggest change because it's empowered Smeb to be more of a central focus on the team. He's not setting up his other uh, teammates to carry the games. He's doing it himself. And honestly, it's more them setting him up. Uh, you look at what Kuro's doing uh, with the Vigar picks, for example, against Fnatic. Uh, he's providing the crowd control and some burst damage, but then it's really been Smeb coming in and following up that crowd control. And that was completely the opposite not not just for Kuba, for everybody, because of the way the meta was for most of summer. Uh, when you compare uh, Smeb's stats from what he's done at Worlds, so far at Worlds he's averaged uh, 575 damage per minute, and more impressively, twenty more than 27% of his team's damage output. Look at ba- uh, back what he did in the summer regular season in, in the LCK. He had uh, 446 damage per minute, so 120, 130 less and he is only doing 22% of the damage, which honestly for a top laner was still decently high, but it's nothing compared to what we've seen from him so far at Worlds. And that's because mostly of the champions he was playing. He, Like everybody else, he was playing Maokai. Uh, he was playing some of these kind of tank utility uh, types of champions that they can split push, but they mostly are effective at split pushing because it's hard to catch them and kill them. Uh, they can try to you know sustain and get away, as opposed to they can split push really well with these new champions by just bowling somebody over in a 1v1 duel 
and killing a tower in four seconds or whatever it is. So that's the biggest thing that has changed. And Koo Tigers fans, that's the, the main thing they're going to hold on to is we've got this, you know, top of the world top laner, pun intended kind of, I guess. <laughs> and he's now empowered to go ahead and take control of the games. If he gets an inch, he's going to take it and he's going to run all the way through to the finish. Yeah, no, it has definitely been a huge revelation for them to have Smeb be able to carry a lot of these games. You know, it was something that when you looked at the group stage, you could point to, well, he was going up against guys like Stake, he was going against guys like Mylon, maybe it just wasn't the same level that some of these other top laners were playing, but the way he was able to take out um, Someday in the KT series, and the way he was able to take out... Uh, Huni in the Fnatic series was just very convincing, and it's something that they have to be very proud of. Of course, Marin has also been very strong in this particular meta. He has been having pretty large uh, CS and gold differential leads at the 10-minute mark. He's been uh, you know, seen as the MVP in a lot of these games for SKT, and so much of this top lane has not just been this 1v1, but the 2v2 that comes in when you add in the junglers, when you look at how the Smeb and Hojin versus Marin and Bengi matchup goes, where do you see an advantage for either of these teams? Well, it's absolutely appropriate to approach this as a 2v2 right off the bat, rather than talking about the 1v1 between the top laners. Uh, a lot of people want to talk about who's better, Marin or Smeb, who's going to win the lane. And I think that's a valid question. Uh, they're, uh, so far at Worlds, Marin's had a bit of a better CS differential. Uh, his is a bit higher, but I think he's faced weaker opponents than Smeb has. But it's really a moot point because, sure, Marin, you know, maybe he's got a bit of an edge. Maybe Smeb's got a bit of an edge. It depends on which champions they get. But it really comes down to who's going to get more help from the jungler because with this being a, a carry top laner meta, the junglers have been all over the top lane from just about every team. Uh except for, you know, maybe Origin is the exception who who didn't focus their jungler on the top lane that much. But but we know that uh, that Hojin and that Bengi are both going to be hitting the top lane. They're going to be hitting it frequently. They're going to be doing everything they can to score some kills or at least get some pressure, force the uh, opponent out of lane. And when you look at those two junglers, you look at, at, at Bengi, and he's he's the epitome, I'd say, of, of kind of the, the servant jungler. Uh, is what I sometimes call it. The one who will come in, he he doesn't worry too much about, is he individually going to get strong? Is he going to get enough farm? Uh, he goes straight for the vision. He goes straight for the ganks. And he makes sure, like, I'm not the core of this team. I'm the one who's going to facilitate somebody else uh, to get ahead. And right now it's Marin most of the time, uh, especially because of uh, how good Faker is in the lane and he can handle himself mm-hmm. uh, fairly well most of the time. So, you look at Bengi, you say, yeah, okay, he's the servant jungler. He's going to take care of Marin. He's going to be all over that, and he's really good at it. You look at uh, Hojin and what he brings, and, you know, I, I wouldn't call him a bad jungler. Some people, I think, go that go that far, but I think he's not an early game jungler. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen of him, when I watch him, I see a lot of, uh, a lot of wasted time on uh, poorly... T- poorly placed counter gank attempts. He'll come into the lane brush and he'll sit there for, for a little while hoping, you know, or maybe thinking that the enemy jungler is going to come there and he's going to be able to jump out and turn it around. And it just doesn't happen. And he went, ends up wasting time. Uh, 
in, against Fnatic, we saw him with these Zach picks and Zach, you know, just as a champion has a bit of a tough time, uh, doing a whole lot in the early game, unless he can get a surprise gank path with his, uh, with his elastic slingshot. So it, we really saw Hojin, I think at his early game worst, which is says a little more harsh than I think it needs to be. But, but I think that's what we're probably going to see a little bit more of unless, uh, they really shift unless the Tigers really shift their direction and their focus. I think we'll probably see a lot of Bengi coming in with well-timed ganks, creative gank paths, getting Marin ahead while, you know, Hojin is trying to follow him, trying to track him. And it's going to be kind of hit or miss on whether he manages to do it. Maybe he'll have a bit of a better time against Bengi than he did against Rainover, but just because they know them a little bit better from playing against them in Korea. But that's, that's going to be a big storyline to me is, is, how well does that jungler matchup work out? And uh, is Hojin able to track or predict what Bengi's going to do? Because I don't think we're going to see Hojin taking the front foot on this and making his own ganks happen, forcing Bengi to react. That's just not the way that uh, the two of them have usually played in the dynamic between them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something I'd like to see Hojin do a lot more of in this series that we didn't see in the semifinals was his Lee Sin. This is something that he was, I mean, he used to be named for this champion. It's a champion that he's shown a strong sense of being able to make these aggressive plays, of being able to gank and force more pressure early. He's better on that champion early than pretty much anything else. I think his Elise has better early game numbers from this particular tournament, but it comes at a much higher death rate, which has been kind of interesting to watch. But it's it's very tough. If they go for the Zac, I think that is a play for a late game that we haven't seen a lot of teams really get to so far. And a lot of the reason they haven't been able to get there is because Faker has just been absolutely incredible. He's been just so dominant and had so many of these plays that people are going to remember long after this tournament is done. The 1v4 teleport in uh, protecting his bot lane on that dive against AHQ stands out to mind more than any other play, I think, in this entire tournament. And Kuro is tasked with keeping him in line. We know Kuro is his own control guy. How do you see this matchup playing out realistically? I think Faker against Kuro, and this is assuming we're going to see Faker in, in all, uh, all of the games of the finals, which I think should be the case and probably will be, but Faker against Kuro is kind of a microcosm of the entire SK Telegram against Ku Tigers matchup. Faker is this super aggressive laner. Uh, he's a great counter picker with his massive champion pool he'll come out and he'll out mechanic uh you with with his just superior individual play uh his better timing his better knowledge of the matchups and he will get a cs advantage he may solo kill you uh and then he just uses that advantage to roll forward and forward and and build up a bigger lead until it's too big and you can't come back against it because he doesn't give you the mistakes to do it Mm -hmm. uh and then kuro is a player who you know is not very good in the laning phase you can give it whatever reasons you want, make whatever excuses you want. Oh, it's because he brings teleport and his opponent brings a combat summoner, so he gives up pressure there. Yeah, that's valid. Oh, it's because he picks a champion who isn't really a lane pressure champion. They're just to kind of sit back, lane clear farm champion like Vigar. Sure, that's fair. But whatever reasons you pick, that's also just how Kuro plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we're going to see this matchup that's very similar to, honestly, what happened between Kuro and Febivin, where Febivin really destroyed Kuro in the laning phase. But somehow Kuro came out of that and he found his impact later on. It came to the team fighting phase. Uh, 
Kuro, I, you know, I think it was especially in game one against Fnatic where he had some pretty rough Vigar play earlier on, but then as the game got into the later stages, he started uh, hitting his skill shots a little better, timing his uh, his spells a little better, and he started to have a really big impact and helped his team win those team fights that turned the game around, gave them this, uh, helped them complete this massive comeback. And like I said, I think that's really a microcosm of this entire matchup is that SKT is going to come at you with all this pressure, uh, whether it's just in the laning phase, like with Faker's laning play, whether it's uh, through Bengi's gank pathing, or whether it goes to top lane or maybe some of it to mid or bot. And they're just going to come at you and they're going to try to knock you down and snowball a lead and then uh, not give you enough mistakes to punish them and, and make a comeback. Whereas the Koo Tigers approach uh, against really strong teams like they've usually faced in Korea or when they played Fnatic, they're going to try, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to match that early game most of the time, mm-hmm. but they're good enough that they can survive it until they see a mistake to punish. And then they punish it harder than almost anyone. And they turn it around and they, they try to make that comeback like they managed to do against Fnatic. Mm-hmm. So, so just like I think that the way the mid lane goes is basically the way the games go. Uh, and it's a question of who can execute better. Is it going to be a bigger snowball or is it going to be a better comeback attempt? Yeah, and that's something if you're an SKT fan, you've got to be feeling pretty good about because if the games are coming down to how Faker is able to play on the biggest stage when he's the best player in the world by all accounts, that's something you've got to feel pretty good about. Uh, it's certainly, I think, a lot of what you said about just how Ku has been all about weathering the early game storm and then finding that hole. I think so much of what they have to do kind of has has felt impossible for a lot of SKT's opponents so far. SKT has had one of the most dominant early games that we've seen. Their EGR is just off the charts right now. Um, and it's something that we haven't seen any team, especially when Faker's involved, successfully counter it. If you're coup, what is the way that you try to attack this dominant early game and get to the point where you can start making some of these comeback plays? I think the most important thing for coup is that they won't be attacking that early game. They'll be, they'll be game planning around, you know, not making their own aggressive moves because I think the, the biggest issues we've seen with coup is when they try to make their own attacking moves, when they try to make their own aggressive plays. Yeah. They sometimes work. Maybe even they work more than half the time. Uh, I, I have this, you know, there's, there's one game that they played where they had this great play by gorilla on a Tom Kench where he, uh, used his alt to come in underneath the top lane tower, make this great tower dive that was totally unexpected. Great play, and it set them up to win the game later on. Uh, but sometimes they fail. Sometimes they make these moves. Uh, game one against Fnatic, the when they came under tower, uh, and and then Huni turned it around with a great Hecarim alt. Febivin had roamed down to follow it up. He and Rainover got I think four kills. Uh, that kind of thing where where. That was Koo trying to to make. They were trying to move forward and make something happen, and it didn't quite work out. They timed something wrong. They made a mistake. Whatever it was, they opened themselves up to to uh, have that turn back on them. So for Koo to to come out of this, it really is about surviving. I don't think it's about we need to beat SKT in the early game. We need to make a better play than them. And if we make a better play, you know, they try to make the play. We make one that's better. Then we're going to win. It's more about. Let's keep the deficit small enough. Uh, so I, th- I think there are a couple ways that they might go about trying to do that. Uh, I think their their bottom lane is one of their spots where this can happen. Uh, 
when they've got their 2v2, when you've got Prey and Gorilla for the Koo Tigers, you've got Bang and Wolf for SK Telecom, uh, neither of those 80 carries has great CS differentials. Uh, it's it's more around like, so in, in the regular season, they were both kind of middle of the pack. Uh, Bang had a, a 2.3 CS difference at, at 10 minutes in the regular season in summer. Prey had a 0.9. So these aren't super impressive numbers. At Worlds, it's about the same, but Prey is a little better than Bang. So he's got a plus 2.2. Uh, Bang's got a minus 1.8. This is a place where I think that's largely because of Gorilla, the way he can play the lane. He's he's a really good support by all accounts. If he can help Prey outplay Bang and Wolf in the lane, that's one place where they can get a little bit of extra strength uh, and just get their farm up a little bit more, maybe pressure the tower more, help themselves get a bit of global gold to keep the deficit small. Uh, and and that's one way that they can try to keep the early game in their favor, or if you define in their favor as a small gold disadvantage, uh, which is, I think you know that would be something they'd be pretty happy with. The other thing I think they can try to do, and it's not so much something it's not so much something they'll try to do as something they can kind of hope for is Hojin does set up for a lot of these counter gank attempts. If he gets lucky, he could get you in the right place at the right time. And I don't want to call that all luck. You know, it's it's some planning, some educated guesswork. But if some of those attempts work out, uh, then that could you know that could turn out really well. Bengi comes in, Bengi comes in for a gank. Hojin turns it around. Uh, he comes in and and they you know uh, maybe they score a two for one on kills or something like that. That could also help Ku really shut down the SKT snowball. Uh, and that's a tough a tough thing for them to do. Uh, they're going to have to control the early vision game fairly well. Uh, but it, it can happen. It might not happen. It's it's hard to say, but they could kind of get a little bit lucky on those educated guesses and maybe line up some of these counter guesses that will help them uh, help them keep it close. Yeah, and that's where uh, Nofe comes into play here. I mean, obviously people talk about Coma as being one of the best coaches that's ever been in in the League of Legends scene, and he certainly has earned that. You know, he's one of four that have a world championship under their belt. And I don't even think uh, season one Fnatic had a coach, so probably one of three that can really say that they've coached a team to that kind of height. But Nofe is a guy that is really good at picking bands, is really really well respected for his understanding of the game. You would like to think that maybe just because of the familiarity of this matchup, maybe they can find. Some of those, uh, some of those ganks in a way that other teams just haven't quite been able to do. And one of the ways that they might be able to do that is in the vision. You know, we look at how these two teams have approached division. It is definitely reflective of their play style to a certain extent, but it's two very different approaches. We just talk a little bit more about what we're seeing from these numbers as far as words placed and words cleared, and how that plays into the games that these two teams are going to try to be playing on Saturday. So it's it's pretty interesting looking at these two teams, uh, the patterns they have for how they play the vision game. SKT is is really the interesting one. So uh, if we talk about the Ku Tigers, they have a fairly standard approach to the vision game, uh, kind of the more common approach, which is place a lot of wards and clear a decent number. So the Ku Tigers at Worlds so far have placed 3.76 wards per minute. That's second best of the tournament. Uh, behind KT Rolster, who just went absolutely insane, uh, 4.09 wards per minute, which is almost unreasonably high. Uh, 
so the Kuh Tigers place a lot of wards, but they only clear 27.9% of their opponent's vision on average, uh, which is third lowest at the tournament. The only teams that cleared less of their opponent's vision, Bangkok Titans and Payne Gaming, the two wild cards. So the Kuh Tigers really go all in on putting lots of wards around the map. Uh, and I think that's part of, of the play style of, of kind of how they play reactively, how they lay back and wait for a mistake is they want to make sure they know what's coming so that they can be ready for it. And then they're, they're ready to kind of, this is about to happen. This is what we have to do to react to that and to make our own, uh, our own play work as the counter. SK telecom is basically the opposite pattern of that. Their wards per minute is, uh, I mean, it's not at the bottom, but they were sixth lowest out of the 16 teams, 3.27 wards per minute. So that's, half a word per minute less than the Koo Tigers. But they have the highest word clear percentage, 34.1%. So that's uh, about six percentage points higher mm-hmm. than uh, than the Koo Tigers. So they really focus on, it's not so much about us being able to see the whole map lit up as making sure the enemy doesn't know what we're about to do. That, uh, that plays into SKT's really kind of skirmish style uh, Bangi roaming around the map and making fights happen here, making fights happen there, teleport in something, you know, get a 2v2, a 3v3 fight, or preferably outmanned fight, a 4v3 or whatever it is. When the enemy doesn't have a lot of words on the map, it's much easier for those to happen because the enemy's not ready for it. Whereas, so it's, it, but it's also a bit riskier overall because you, you know, SKT doesn't have a lot of, a lot of vision. So they aren't entirely sure if, something is going to, ha- you know, if they're going to get countered, if they're going to get reacted to, well, they can never know for sure. They just kind of count on being fast enough, being smart enough that the risks are kind of minimized because the enemies just aren't ready to set up for it. So that's, I think, part of how they both play the game differently. The vision is a symptom of that, and it's also a cause of how they play differently. And uh, for Ku to to try to be the reactor's, in the in the early game and in the mid game and and keep the gap small and then turn around something in the mid game and and gain a lead through a team fight they're going to really work on having that vision set up and trying to prevent uh, SKT from clearing too much of it because that's really essential to their to the the Tigers plan to play this reactive style to play this uh, kind of counter punching style where they see it coming and they kind of reverse it on you yeah well that's the kind of thing that I think it says so much about the confidence of SKT in this kind of situation. They're not worried about having all these words around the map because they know that when the fights come, they have, they have a lot of just confidence in themselves that they're going to be able to pull that off. Ku, on the other hand, need that kind of understanding that when we make this fight, because we're going to go all in on it if we pick this fight because we're the Ku Tigers and that's what we do, we need to know it's going to work. We are not going to force ourselves into something that's not going to work out for us. Because as you said, those are the times that they've really cost themselves. You know, I'm thinking about both of their losses to Flash Wolves. I think that's something that you can definitely say was uh, a factor in those losses. For sure. So I, I, so I think that makes a lot of sense. Now that leads us to the predictions. Obviously, uh, anything can happen, especially when, uh, for instance, Fnatic fails to show up the way that both of us thought they were going to last week. But we're going to try to predict this one again anyway. Um, where do you see this series going at the end of the day? I was prepping my own kind of preview and predictions article uh, 
that I, uh, I put up on, on unicorn.com slash community. Mm-hmm. And I was bemoaning my approach to this on Twitter and saying, oh, man, I, I think I know a prediction I have to make, but I'm not sure I like it. But I'm calling an SK Telecom T1 a 3-0 victory. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Koo Tigers are going to win a game. I think they only won games against Fnatic because in game one, Fnatic made a, you know, at least one really huge mistake and then more and more trailing on that, and especially as the series went on and the Koo Tigers thrive on mistakes. I think SK Telecom is going to build leads at least as big as Fnatic did. I think they're going to do it consistently from game to game. They're not going to kind of shift their plan around and suddenly decide to play Skarner instead and farm until level six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they will not make the mistakes Fnatic made because they have more experience on the stage. They've got uh, more experience just over the years as a lot of veteran players. And they're just not going to hand the Koo Tigers the mistakes they need uh, to, to turn the games around. Yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for pointing out that this was a Fnatic that made a ton of mistakes. I can't tell you how many people have been tweeting about just, you know, oh, this proves that the West is never going to catch up and that the gap is some massive thing. I think if Fnatic plays at their best, that's a much different series. This was a Fnatic that could have won game one, uh, put themselves in one bad position. And And honestly should have won game one. Yeah, and honestly should have won game one. You're absolutely right. And then games two and three, they stopped playing the way that got them there in the first place. And, you know, is that a lack of confidence? Sure, but I don't think that's... That, that says a lot more about just a mentality thing than an organizational gap. The fact that they were able to put themselves in that position in game one, where, as you said, they should have won, I think that says a lot more about the relative strength of the West. So I'm not willing to, to be a doomsayer. I definitely agree with you that SKT is the better team here. I'm predicting a 3-1. I'm not going to bet the 3-1 because, as you know, I have the Unicorn Challenge tomorrow with Walter, and I have a feeling the only way I'm coming back is if I go all in on the SKT 3-0 odds, which I think is very possible. But there's just that, you know, that game two, that SKT, you know, they're feeling confident after game one, Kuz on blue side, and maybe they get to first pick the Tom Kench, which has been such a power pick throughout this tournament, especially in Gorilla's hands. That might be the one tool that they have to force that mid to late game and hope that something goes their way from there and that they're able to use that Tom Kench kit to turn a fight that should be going against them in their favor. We'll see. I think I think if SKT wins 3-0, it won't be particularly surprising. I think Faker is out for blood, especially after so many people were starting to question how good he truly was after MSI. So it's very much in play. I think it's going to be quite fun regardless. Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we transition to the second guest of this podcast? I think, uh, you know, check out the stats and oraclesalixer.com, all the numbers we've talked about. You can find them there and a whole lot more. Uh, you can even check out the, the newly released player by champion pages where you can find every player's stats from worlds and also from the summer split, uh, separated by each champion they played. So I, I just released that. So, so give that a look and, uh, and pardon the load times. It's a lot of data. And also you can follow me on Twitter, uh, magiclol, M-A-G-1-C-L-O-L. For the record, that Players by Champion has been my favorite thing you might have ever done. I, I love just scanning through that page and finding all those those little nooks and crannies into how all these stats come together because there is so much more to, you know, when we just look at Champion Pool, wins and losses never tells us the whole story. And being able to have it 
so easily measured out has just been so much fun. Highly recommend you guys. If you enjoy podcasts like this, I guarantee you're going to enjoy just going through Oracle's Elixir and checking all of that out. Now, we are going to transition to part two of this podcast where I'm going to have our resident uh, LCK mega fan, I guess is the best way to put him, Skylar, come on the show and talk to us about what he's looking forward to. So I will see you in a second. And we're back now with my good friend, as I mentioned. John Cena! There you go. Oh, man. (laughs) Skylar, how you doing, buddy? You know, my favorite thing is doing things on the first take. Which we just did. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that joke definitely wasn't tested about three times. Um, and I definitely am not upset that I'm going to have to edit the audio like crazy. But that's fine, because I have you in here, Skylar. You've been our LCK guy throughout this entire kind of yes, tournament. I have. You, you've, uh, you've been there before. You've had conversations with Monte Cristo. We have it, that on your that resume. That is true. That is true. So I got to ask you, because there are a lot of Western fans who are obviously very disappointed that this is going to be an all-Korea finals. What is, what's your perspective on this? Is this something that you're excited by because you, you love these teams, or are you disappointed that we're going to get yet another Koo versus SK team rematch? I am so excited! I'm, I am so excited for these finals. It's not even funny. I don't care what anybody says. I love these teams, and I love watching these teams play each other. This is going to be amazing for me. It's, it's a really fun matchup, because these are the two teams who I think match up best mentally. I would have said that Fnatic was someone that could match up with SKT mentally until... They showed that they weren't so, able to match up against anyone mentally against last week. Mentally. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, we're not going to get into that because we just don't have enough time, but it really Fruit was, chains. it was so rough to watch them completely collapse in on themselves. But these, you know, Nofei is not collapsing in on himself. This is a guy who we've seen time and again handle these pick bands really well. Can you just kind of go into the coaching matchup here? You know, you've got Coma versus Nofei. Two guys that are very well respected. What are some things you can expect from picks and bands here? Um, so I'm glad that you brought up the stylistic matchup, especially mentally, because it bleeds in through the whole team's play styles on both sides. SK Telecom is very professional and very rigorous, um, and you can expect good re- deep research. Uh, into solo queue and prep for weird strategies and stuff, but largely playing by the book until it doesn't work from SK Telecom. However, from the Koo Tigers, you can expect probably playing to their previous strengths like Fiora Top and Ash AD Carry that we've seen in this tournament so far until um, they lose with that, which will probably be the first game. No, uh, please, no copy-pasterino, but... um, (laughs) The, the, the second game in this kind of situation, the Koo Tigers, they like to have something weird prepared. Something, something fun and, and different. Something that will change the way that the game is played quite dramatically for the enemy team. And a world-class team like SK Telecom T1 is going to be able to respond quite well on the fly to that kind of adaptation. On the other hand of how fun this kind of adaptation from the Koo Tigers is is that um, it has burned them in the past. When they were weak in the spring finals and they tried to do this kind of funny thing in the, uh, in the OGN uh, spring finals 
with Top Irelia, it kind of burned them because it wasn't very well thought through and it, they kind of jumped the gun with the strategy a little bit. I expect that they're going to be much better composed seeing the sharp form that they're in now and follow somewhat more of a plan that I have just outlined where they, they hold it, they, they reserve their good stuff for a little bit until their power picks that we've seen already have uh, failed them. Yeah, it's definitely a coup Tigers that seems to be more in, in tone of you know what they want. They seem to have a much better understanding of what their win conditions are and how best to play to them. I mean, we saw in that Fnatic series, they were so comfortable playing each of the styles that Fnatic tried to build around and just doing it better. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously Fnatic is not necessarily SKT by any means. This is going to be a very different scale of, of game, but it's something where I, I think we've seen Koo Tigers play multiple different types of compositions throughout this tournament. Yes, yes, and even yes. if it cost them against a team like Flash Wolves, which is still something that's perplexing <laughs> when you look back on it nowadays. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, that was a little odd. But I think that the Koo Tigers we saw against Fnatic has a lot of interesting things going for them. Namely, Hojin playing Zack, which I think we could all agree <laughs> no one saw coming. Is this the kind oh, of... Oh, I didn't see coming. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we are going to see more of that going forward? Do you think Hojin falls back to his Lee Sin, which is a little bit more of his his trusted backup when the Rek'Sai and Elise haven't been through? Where do you see them going to try to throw SKT off of it? You know, that's a really good question because the Koo Tigers have shown a little bit of variety in their jungle priority. Um, And it's, of course, after the Gragas ban, which is something that both Bengi and Hojin are competent on, but didn't rely on as a heavy crutch, I would say. With this Zack pick, which has been, uh, it, it's kind of hard to evaluate its priority as an overall meta pick for the Koo Tigers. Um, it has sort of thrown a, a new variable into the picks and bands questions for this final. So when you're preparing for the to, to look at how the the picks and bands are going to go in the finals, you have to take a look at uh, favorite champs and power picks uh, that have been shown in the tournament, first and foremost. Uh, and there's a lot of depth beyond that in, in terms of what people can play in scrims or in solo queue um, to, for predictive picks and bans. But um, tournament priority is pretty, a pretty reliable first step that teams take to to get their bands on the board, usually. With an organized team like SK Telecom T1, with the time that they've had to prepare for this match, I feel that they'll have developed a counter for that. So, to answer your first question, I think that um, the Crew Tigers will have at least one more priority jungle pick ready for Hojin mm-hmm. that um, we haven't seen frequently or uh, at all yet. Uh, but the lease in, like you said, I think we'll see it. Yeah, it's something that he's fallen back on a lot. You know, he it's used a to comfort be, pick. He used to be named Lee, for goodness sake, right? Like, we're aware that this is kind of a thing. I think the Zach was very targeted towards Fnatic's playstyle. You know, Fnatic loves picking fights on their own terms and kind of dictating the pace of some of these, these skirmishes. And the thing about Zach is he can just slingshot in, and then he's in the middle of your team. And now you have to deal with him. Now you have to fight. You don't get to pick your fight anymore. The problem with using it against SKT, 
I don't think SKT cares whether they're picking the fight or not. So far, there is no evidence that says that SKT isn't perfectly capable of winning the fight, whether they're starting it or whether they just want to finish it. And that's what's worrisome to me, especially when you look at the average game time. Uh, if you look overall, the average game time between these two teams hasn't actually been all that different. You're looking at a 32.2 average minute game for SKT and 34.7 for the Koo Tigers. These are two relatively short average game times, especially for guys yeah. that have played a whole bunch of games against supposedly better opponents throughout the group stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you play on Zach, the average game time for uh, for the Koo Tigers in those two games was 44.3 minutes. No one's surviving that long against SKT. And that's, I think, <laughs> the bigger problem. I think you need something that kind of stifles that early aggression. And that's, I guess, the next place to go from here. You look at SKT, and the thing they've done so well, especially when Faker is involved, and we have every reason to believe Faker will be playing all of these games. I mean, they've been so Faker good. shall be involved. <laughs> they've, they've just been so good at the early game, especially. Yeah. They have been dominating teams. They have what is the most incredible early game rating I've ever seen. 73.6 right now, which over a 12-game period. That's basically saying that the first 15 minutes alone put them in a position where they're going to win 73.6% of their games no matter what happens from there. That, that's insane. That is an, an incredible statistic. Meanwhile, I mean, it's, it's well represented. With the games that they have played so far, right, and and I guess my my question for you is, if you're Koo, how do you go about trying to stop that? How do you keep that early game down instead of letting it spiral out of control as it has so many times, especially when Faker is involved? That's a tricky question because the Koo Tigers, um, they they have the potential to win some matchups, but. They're not a team who's going to magically transform into a beastly early game team overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think it might be reasonable to try, uh, in, a, in a long-term sort of strategic approach, mm-hmm. try to contest SKT's early game dominance, I don't think that, I simply don't think that they have the the time to work around that. Um, and with the meta the way it is now, um, I don't think. It's even their best option, given all the time in the world. Because the Koo Tigers have crushed through just impeccable team cohesion and map movement. Um, And in the late game especially, I mean, the way that they use picks like Fiora um, and Vigar has been, you know, winning them the crucial games in in the bracket stage. And... I, I really think that uh, the Koo Tigers' first instinct, at the very least, will be to try to outplay the team fights, pick something that has uh, some ridiculous scaling. Like they've shown Cassidy, uh, for example. But it worries me, uh, because when, when, they, when they have to pick towards team fights and scaling in the later parts of the game... I don't know if they'll even survive the SKT early game because it's like it's like saying that okay we can fight SKT in the late game with our team fights because we're damn good at that but but when they're going to be thousands of gold ahead in the first place because of their early game 
I don't I don't see a solution myself. That's the hard part. Is that this is a Koo Tigers team that excels so much once you get into the you know their early games have been better than I think a lot of people think. They actually have a sixty point eight on the EGR, which is a stat that you know we've brought up so many times on this podcast before that just says you know factors all these things into how the early game works. They've been good. Some of that's going to be because they played Pain Gaming twice. Some of that's <laughs> going to be because they played CLG twice. So yeah. there's you know there's some skewing in there. Uh, yeah. That last game against Fnatic obviously helped that stat as well. Also ripped. But it's just one of those things where the way they've been able to do the early game well is by reacting and responding to skirmishes very well. Whether it was KT, yeah. whether yeah. it was Fnatic. They're very good at catching teams out who have extended too far, who are trying to do too much. And the thing about SKT that really scares me for this coup team is that SKT has been getting all these objectives... You know, you look at, you know, the first blood rate for SKT, 83%. First dragon, 83%. First tower, 75%. First baron, 90.9%. They've been doing all of this stuff, and they've been doing it with a very low risk. They've only died 78 times in the 13 games that they've played. Koo Tigers, to put that in perspective, 127 deaths in the same, in, in one more game. But still, it's... <laughs> It's very tough. How I mean, it's. I guess if you're looking for one matchup where you'd hope that they could turn it around, just because of how good he's looked recently, it's the Smeb versus Marin matchup. It absolutely is. Could you just touch on what it is that Smeb needs to do? What is it? Is it just you know taking that Fiora, which has been such a priority for both of these teams, each one of these top laners having played it five times, or is it finding a way to to counter some of the Renekton and Fiora dominance that Marin has showed so far? Well, as much as I wish that we had a Battle of the Gods 1v1 Marin versus Smeb, mm-hmm. how much fun that would be to see them uh, duel and outplay each other on some of these really interactive top lane matchups that we have. Um, I, I think that these teams both have a very keen focus on the top lane right now, considering their... Uh, relative strength against the rest of the world, uh, really. Like, these are two of the best top lane players in the world and two of the teams who best use their top lane talent. Um, So we're going to see a lot of team-wide focus um, on top lane or wherever they put the top laners. Um, If they're going to pick something that scales and try to hide, um, if they're going to pick something that bullies and try to... Um, and try to push it out, try to force an advantage. Um, I, I give. It's hard to give the advantage to either player um, because it's so much of a team matchup with the top mm-hmm. lane. Um, one thing that I would like to mention, though, uh, directly related to top lane skirmishes, once they have somewhat of a more normalized laning situation, if they ever, ever end up 1v1 with each other, again, like I said... I wish that I could see them duke it out 1v1, and I'm sure that we'll get a, a more than our share of that. But at the same time, this is uh, these are two teams who are very comfortable um, running globals, and who, and especially the Koo Tigers. Kuro has demonstrated some very decisive TP play um, that, uh, I mean, I think it's shown very brightly during the series against Fnatic. Um, 
where they couldn't keep up. And SKT is going to be able to keep up. So spontaneous fights may start occurring around the top lane matchups just so the teams can continue to try to jockey their top laner into a split-pushing dominance position. Well, see, that's the problem, right? Is that, you know, you look at, well, maybe Kuro can help because his Vigar has gotten so much better and his Victor we all know is insane. And then you remember that Faker had the best teleport play on uh, the Rise in the AHQ series <laughs> that I have ever seen in my entire life. Somehow they turned a 1v4 into two kills for Faker, yeah. which is just beyond anything I've ever seen. And it's the reason that I am convinced beyond a doubt that he is just the best player in the world. Uh, he's up 15.1 CS at 15 minutes right now. Kuro, uh, at, at 10 minutes, I should say. Uh, Kuro minus 8.2 compared to his lane opponent. That might yeah. be a problem. I think. It could be a problem. Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. The, the mid lane matchup is huge for this Kutagas versus SK Telecom. It's almost like not worth talking about right out the gate because everybody knows it's Faker. You know, like mm-hmm. how how many players in the world can you you can count them on one hand who can like you can talk about in a conversation where you're like, well, maybe they won't lose lane against Faker, and <laughs> and Kuro. To their credit, to the Ku Tigers' credit, Kuro uh, hasn't needed to be a dominant um, hard carry um, as much as he was in their first heyday um, with the debut of the Victor pick. Um, and instead, he's been an economy mid laner um, to great effect. Uh, what Kuro does sometimes is he takes the hit and he doesn't die a lot and... Uh, he sort of bleeds gold um, and CS and uh, does it for the credit of the bot lane and the top lane, which, you know, I, 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 I prefer the SK Telecom side of things, of course, in the mid lane matchup. And Faker is just going to start steamrolling at some point. Mm-hmm. But um, there are worse players who you can put pitch against Faker simply because of Kuro's economical and conservative playstyle. So here's the final question, Skylar. Oh, boy. Does SKT drop a game? Uh, um, uh, I love making predictions. This is my favorite part. It's your favorite part of the podcast. That's why I I give it to you every time, because I would hate for you to miss out for even one moment. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um... You know, uh, I'm going to say, uh, yeah. Yeah, one, one game. Mm. I mean, that is said with, like, not a lot of confidence. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is kind of where I ended up, too. I, I picked the 3-1 uh, because Fionn asked for them on Twitter. Uh, but I guarantee you when it gets to the Guest of the Lions podcast, which I'm recording tomorrow... I am absolutely going to bet all of what I have on the 3-0. No other way for me to win enough Unicoins to come back in that competition. <laughs> so I just uh, have to trust Faker to win three games, which honestly, <laughs> I, here's, here's, I guess, the, the one thing that would concern me is they win the first two and then put Easy Hoon in so they could say they played him for the finals. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, that's a possibility, but then you have to deal with Easy Hoon, which is not like... <laughs> The easiest tune in the world to no. deal with. Um, actually, um, you know what? For the sake of drama, 
mm-hmm. uh, because we love to have conflict here on yeah. Less Than Legends. Um, I'm going to change my prediction to 3 0. Okay. So that Chase and I can argue. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't feel good about going three one. I just it's it's hard for me to imagine SKT. I I just feel this Kutiger team has played very very well. I, I do too. I mean, I mean, like I said a three one like unconfidently, but not without good reasoning. Yeah, uh, no, it's it's very possible that SKT. We've seen them get over aggressive in game three of against AHQ. We've seen them have a couple sloppier games when they feel very confident in where they are in the tournament. I would not be surprised if when up 2-0, they put their foot off the pedal a little bit because they know they have some room to play around with. The thing is, though, that like mid-series is when mentality isn't quite decided yet and like you know they're not in the final push of the third game where they're like, yes, we have it in our hands. Um, and they're not in the first game where they're like, we're going to come out kicking and prove it. But in the, in the thick of the series, you're like, well, I have to keep going, but... It's not quite decided yet, is when I think that the Koo Tigers can pull the fun stuff. Yeah, that's fair. And that's also the game the Koo Tigers will be on blue side, which means the first pick Tom Kench can come in. True which shame. Which is something that can really make a lot of, uh, of a difference there. Skylar, is there anything you want to shout out on your way out? Um, I would like to shout out the people who keep on making um, rhyming memes about Tom Kench, like unbench the Kench and unload the Toad. Uh, permit the Kermit, unclog the frog. I think a lot of people are really confused what a catfish is, though. Yes. Like, that's... that's really what I learned more from all these games, <laughs> is that people are like, frogs, catfish, clearly same animal. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, I, I, I held a catfish in my hands once, and I said, ribbit. <laughs> and on that, I guess, <laughs> I guess this is when I tell everybody, uh, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. <laughs> You want more commentary like that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you could possibly afford to miss out on an episode at this point. So you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We are the Esports Gambling Hour. You can find us there. Please subscribe. Leave us a review if you like what we're doing. Those reviews really help as far as getting more people to see it, which is always what we're looking for. Um, you'll see a whole bunch of stuff on there recently. Uh, all of our previous Guest the Lines episodes, if you're looking for how we got here throughout the World Championship, as well as our recent Heroes of the Storm BlizzCon preview, which obviously the games were last night, but it's one of those things where if you want to see where each of these teams are or where we thought they were heading into those days, you can kind of look back at that. It was really a lot of fun to do. Um, You can also, if you uh, are not the kind of person who wants to wait the whole 30 minutes to an hour while iTunes gets stuff (laughs) together, you can get us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash esports gambling hour. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at RedshirtKing. And Skylar, where can they find you on Twitter? Through at RedshirtKing. <laughs> I swear, man, I'm just making you a Twitter profile. Uh-oh. I'm just going to do it. And, and you're going to have it. And I'm going to give you the password. And you're going to decide what to do with it. And it's going to be on oh, you. Oh, boy. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Tomorrow is going to be the final episode of the Guess the Lines uh, podcast uh, from the World Championship. We'll do a recap obviously the day of the games. But this will be the last time we have any lines to guess for this League of Legends regular season. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this, and until next time, goodbye, Internet. Goodbye.